Hello and welcome to episode 77 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Faith in Victoria, and your host. Today my guest is Stephen Hood, um, and I'll let Stephen introduce himself and he tells everything we could possibly want to know about him. Credentials, <laughs> Stephen, no pressure. No, no pressure. I am Stephen Hood. I am a co-founder of Protagonist Labs, uh, and we are a tech startup based in the Bay Area that is making an online storytelling game called Storium. Um, I have a co-founder named Josh Whiting. Um, uh, I also have his advisors, Will Heinmarch, and uh, J.C. Hutchins, uh, who's a writer and transmedia uh, storyteller. That sounds very highbrow. The <laughs> most highbrow guest we've had so far. No, not at all. Um, and uh, we were playing, Stephen and I were playing a game of uh, Prime Time Adventures, which was, was it called Blockbuster Adventures? That's right, yeah. Called? I think it's a hack uh, of, of Prime Time Adventures by Ryan Macklin. Right, right, and it's yeah. uh, and we ran it through in th- three hours probably by the time we got all the, the characters created. And yeah. your alias is uh, my character. Uh, what was he called? Darren. Oh come on now! How could you not remember? Darren, Darren Aquarius. Darren Aquarius. <laughs> right, they've already Darren... blocked it out. It's such a terrifying. Experience. Yeah, Darren Aquarius. So if you get a chance to, uh, <laughs> is it online? Is the is the is the primetime hack online? I expected it is. Mm. Yeah. So check it out. But it's basically you put together instead of primetime ventures, which runs over a number of episodes of eight gap a season. Um, it's just a one shot sort of thing, perfect for a for a con. And we had a it's great a, a tor- Yeah, it was. It was a good time. Yeah. We had a sort of tortured superheroes group. Yeah. I would say probably um, you want to get people that, that want to do it for four hours. If you've got anybody that's not quite into yeah. it, then it can be a little bit um, like a flat tire. Not. Not majorly, because the other people can do the lifting, but I think probably um, you need to make sure that everybody's like wants to wants to go and is prepared to. Get, we could have played it faster too. Yeah, we are, we, 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 we did an extra round that we yeah, maybe didn't have to. That's do, true. So. Yeah. So um, and but also you, I think probably for anybody who hasn't done prime time, um, in prime time you share around the agency and you share around all the different mm-hmm. things that are part of it. Um, but in this game, it's not. Quite the same way. You've got somebody who's got a central narrative control in a way, so which was yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The producer role from prime, and um, so you have to. I mean, just like with most story games, I think you have to win the game. It's about halfway through, at least for us, um, or at least for me. I don't want to speak for you, Stephen, but it felt like um, the actual the the major thread of the story became more clear, mm-hmm. and some of the other people who were actually character story became a little bit more peripheral. Mm-hmm. So I think you just have to. I think that that's that you have to accept the fact that maybe it's not. You're not going to get equal spotlight time, right? Your your. I mean, your facilitator maybe can help that to happen. I think it, yeah, that that it does require probably some effort for people ever to involve each other. Yes. You know, perhaps steer the story in a different direction than mm. it would have been going otherwise. Mm. I thought we did all right. There were definitely oh, yeah, a few did. times where some characters ended up a little bit on the sidelines. Yeah, sure. sure. So. And but I don't think that's a problem. I think that as long as everybody else is. Um, accepting of you contributing towards your scenes. I mean, yeah, in the, in prime yeah. time, it's you, you own it, right? right? More so than we did here. We did quite a bit of interplay and putting things together. Mm-hmm. I think that if you keep your eyes on the overall thing, which is making a good story, mm-hmm. and you're, un, you're unselfish, I think you're in for a good time. Yeah, if everybody's invested in the story. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Then, then and you're like, good. no, I feel like my character this, or I feel like my character this, or we don't need to worry about putting a lot of st- spotlight on this. Let's find out what happens here. I think right. that's, right. I, yeah, for me at least, I think that's the that's the win for that for that game. So, so check that out. I'm not sure exactly where to go, but if you look up, you know, prime time hack or something like that, you, you'd almost certainly track it down. Okay, well, let's have your uh, sort of specific role playing credentials. Where'd you get started in role playing? Uh, probably junior high. Um, growing up uh, in Ohio, um, I think it all started when uh, my mother bought uh, a box of 
D&D modules at a garage sale nice. for me. Oh, um, yeah. found trees. I dream of doing that at garage sales. I know, right? And like, I think back to how often that would happen in those days. Like, right. You see this stuff turn up at garage sales. Right. Don't see that anymore, certainly. Oh, no, that's but, right, man. But that's kind of where it started, and actually a bunch of random games would, would, would showed up that way. I went to garage sales, and I picked up uh, you know, battered copies of uh, you know, first edition AD&D um, uh, you know, which I don't know why they were already battered. They hadn't been out that long. Right, but sure. It's like they're, you know, it's like the late 80s probably, right? right? sure. Um, so, yeah, um, I, it started with D&D really. Um, uh, but then we, myself and my friends really moved into um, Champions, right? The hero, right. hero system. Sure. First edition Champions. Right. We played a lot of that stuff. Superheroes at first, but then over time we started to use it almost in a GURPS-like way to, right. to play different types of games. Uh, we played some GURPS, um, some Rifts when that came out. Uh, a bunch of random things too, like um, the Morrow Project. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, it's a post-apocalyptic um, uh, role-playing game that actually just recently was re-released for the first time yeah. in years through right. Kickstarter. Um, uh, Fringeworthy, which is basically like Stargate before there was Stargate right. a show or movie. Sure. Uh, so a lot of these games, some of which are around, still some of which aren't. But right. um, that's kind of how it all started um, for me, and um, uh, had a great time. And it was you know one of the sort of things I did. Every weekend growing up with my friends, yep. I was always the GM. Right? The Does it just just happened that way, or? Well, I think you know I was uh, I was into theater a lot as a right. kid. I think, right. and that might have been part of it. Um, I was kind of always a storyteller. Right. So I was always the one who took the initiative to craft the world or the setting right. Right. or the adventure. Doesn't mean I was good at it back then, but I got better. So yeah, it's it's an unfortunate sort of confluence of people that really want to be GMs and don't have the feel for it or maybe you're just like got a real feel for a story and then almost having people there as incidental like an audience right. rather than yeah. a well I mean I, I'll never forget I remember being in must have been junior high at this point and uh, playing down the basement with some friends we'd taken a break I forget what the game was what the adventure right. was but I was the GM and we took a break and I was coming back down the stairs and I overheard them yeah. talking to each other and, they were, and I remember, I'll never forget one of them was saying to the other he's never going to let us win right, right right and I thought oh Crap, I'm doing this completely wrong. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, well, it's good to have that moment. Though, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and it would have only made things, it would have only made things better, though, right? But, it totally did. Yeah, yeah. and you're sort of like, you know what? It's, yeah. You've got to, because this can't be a continual struggle to yeah. and have and have nothing happen, right? Right, that's exactly. The, that's the thing. So if it you have to, if you take something, no, no, no. okay. Um, so that was sort of your initial games. Like you said, the late '80s. Did you mean the late '70s when you were finding these modules? Oh no, this is this is like. Uh, um, this is like in the late 80s. It was, actually. okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and so did you, did you play White Wolf stuff? I did, yeah. We played some Vampire. Um, um, that was about it at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And did you like play seriously like, or did you play a few sessions aside it wasn't for you? You know, at the, at the time, uh, yeah, honestly, our group couldn't really get into it, right? Because it was a different sort of thing. Sure, we absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I think we were really addicted to the sort of crunchier play. Right. Um, and I don't think, you know, at the time, I had any real deeper understanding of the difference of what was really happening in that game, mm. right? Compared right. to what we played. Yes, and right. that was around the time that I went off to, to school. Right. Uh, and, and it sort of drifted out of my life, gaming in general, because I didn't have people, uh, I didn't have a network anymore of people to play with. Right. Um, and so uh, right around the time that that game was getting to be popular was when I sort of drifted away for a while, right. actually. Right. Uh, and it's only, I'd say, in the last three years that I've come back to the hobby right. to find it somewhat transformed. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> And also I think that part of that probably is your... Um, what you're bringing to the hobby as well, right? Because like, I know for myself, um, I was, as a teenager, uh, preteen even, yeah. um, 
the attra- I like the like the systems, and I like the. I mean, I don't know if that. I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I wonder if um, having these crunchy systems with clearly defined rules and roles and stuff like that is quite an appealing thing to to, to teenagers or early teenagers that are trying to sort of find their own way in the world, trying to find out where they fit. Am I a grown up? Am I a kid still? Mm-hmm. And all these different things that can be kind of arbitrary. But to have these books where you can control a, a piece of the world, you know, whether that's actually an appealing part of it. So perhaps mm-hmm. that's why, you know, the vampire, well, not for you, it's not quite right, but, but why as you get older, um, you know, you bring different things to the game and different games, mm-hmm. different games do appeal. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that at the timing it would be different. If I hadn't managed to, um, just because of logistics and life, drift away from the hobby at that point, I have a feeling I would have become a pretty serious vampire player, actually. Right. Because you know, more narrative-oriented games are what interests me today. Right. Uh, back then, what interests me were more crunchier games. Right. And I'm kind of one of the people, I, I don't think there's any right or wrong answer. I actually like both. That's um, right, yeah. That's but right. but no, these days, I'm, I find much more refreshing and interesting the narrative side of things. <clears throat> um, so uh, it was just sort of a case, I think, of bad timing. you know. And, right. I, and I always yearned for it. Like, I always wanted to do it. Yes, to keep playing, but I could yeah. never really get a group of people together. Right, um, and it always tugged at me. Is it like riding a bicycle? Um, it's not far from that, actually. Yeah, I mean, I guess the thing that clouds my answer is that the games that I came back to were so different from the ones I left behind. Right, right. right. Like I did the whole story games world. I did not even know had happened. I didn't right. know it existed right. until I came back into the world a few years ago right. and started to learn about what was going on there. Um, and you know, I missed like the whole Forge era, for example. Right. Like I came in like as that was history. Right, right. Um, you know, the whole like gamist narrative, yes. um, simulationist yep. sort of thing. Right. Like you know, all that sort of thing, I skipped basically. Right. So I'm coming back in and learning about things now. And it's been a few years now, um, so I feel like I have some sense of what's going on, and uh, I'm really excited by what's happened. It's different from what I started. With, so. Right. And did that inform uh, the direction you wanted to take Storium then? Definitely. I mean, what so Storium came about directly out of that desire to play again. Right. Um, and to realize that the problem was time and distance. Mm, that's right, it is. That, that was the problem that I had. I didn't have anyone local. Yes. The people I wanted to play with were my friends growing up, who now right. are scattered to the four corners of the earth, right? right across sure. you know, seven different time zones, or right. like a delta of seven time zones. Sure. Um, so I was like, how are we going to ever, we're never going to actually sit down and play, even really on Google+. Plus. Right, that's true. Like, it's not really going to happen. That's true. Um, and so I thought, well, you know, I spent my career in technology. Yes. I thought maybe I could build something. Yes. Uh, and that's where it all started. Um, but what's interesting is that journey led me to, to story games. Right. I, I sort of, on my own, sort of realized all these mechanics I'm trying to, to recreate are sort of getting in the way of the storytelling right. uh, in this online um, yes. circumstance. Right. Uh, what I need to do is actually come up with a system that, that helps people tell stories together as efficiently as possible. Um, because as it is, it's already difficult because it's separated by space and time. Yes. You're not sharing the face-to-face interaction, right, sitting yeah. at the table, yeah. the body language, the yes. shared energy. Yes. Yes. Right? You have to compensate for that in other yes. ways right. when you play online. Yes, that's true. Um, so I sort of started down this path, and it was around the same time that I, um, I kind of came to the story gaming world and thought, holy crap, Like there are other people who think the same way right. as I do that you can actually have a game out of storytelling that isn't necessarily just about die rolls and charts. Right. Um, that is really more about the core of the narrative experience and people's agency over it. So right. um, it was sort of like a, a, I stumbled a, a, across it uh, very yes. happily. Right. And, and so when you came back into story gaming, how did you get back into like, what was the, was that something you, you went, you know what, I'm going to scratch the search? Or were you kind of like, somebody said this, and you went, oh, hang on a minute, and then you look something up and then you had a group of guys, or how did that work out? Um, it was sort of a, a hodgepodge sort of um, expedition um, right. uh, of research. I started by um, trying, I looked for 
what I thought appeared to be popular games yes. um, and started to learn more about their authors and read right. the games, of course. So I went and I you know, bought a bunch of games like Fiasco and sure. um, uh, Spirit of the Century, Dresden sure. Files, yes, yes. Um, Apocalypse World, right, right. Um, and, and, and other games and started to read them and, and study them and then tried to learn as much as I could about their creators and follow them. So I was right. trying to follow them on Twitter, sure. on their blogs and so forth. They just read their knowledge and try to sure. uh, assimilate it. Right. Um, and I also reached out to some of them too to try to um, see if, if they thought this thing I had in my head was worth pursuing, if right. they were interested in it, sure. if they had feedback. Right. Uh, and that was how I actually came in touch with Will Heinmarch, who's right. one of our advisors. Sure. Um, I just reached out to Will. I was like, hey, based on what you've done in the past, yes. you know, I think it might be what I'm doing might be relevant. Right. Um, and it turned out this is absolutely something he was interested in. Good. Was yeah. Finding a way to um, a new form of storytelling that would be done online. Right. Um, and it turned out we had a lot of very similar interests and goals there. So right, we sure. joined forces. Are you able to sketch over the sort of what that experience might be like at this point, or is it too... What Storium is like? Yeah. Yeah, so Storium, we call it an online storytelling game. And right. so um, one way to think of it is kind of like a blog crossed with a game, right. in a way. Um, so what happens is um, you come to Storium and you, you start a game yeah. um, by choosing a fictional world to play in. Right. Uh, not horribly dissimilar from uh, Fiasco Playset, let's say. Sure. Okay. Right? So it's a package set of, of narrative elements that sure. you can use. And yep. so if we're in alpha testing now. Will has created a bunch of worlds yep. for the game. Everything from the things you might expect, like classic uh, fantasy or, or space opera, yep. to um, medical dramas. Right, sure. Right? Yeah. You know, so things maybe that are a little less typical. Yeah, and also perhaps something more likely to draw on different types of people, right? Exactly. That's one of our goals as well. Right. Um, but you, you select one of these worlds, and it comes with it a bunch of these elements. It has, uh, we have these ideas of story cards, which are like virtual cards mm-hmm. that represent elements of, of the world and of the story. Right. People, places, things, goals, yep. um, character strengths and weaknesses, yep. character archetypes. Right. Uh, and then the system helps you coordinate the telling of a story collaboratively in that world. Right. So it helps you invite people to the game. Right. It coordinates creating their characters yep. and you guys uh, having a conversation about that to make sure that right. what people are doing makes sense of the story that's right. going to be told. Right. And the person who sets it up is the narrator and they yep. sort of have, they, they have the most agency potentially. This sure. doesn't mean they have to claim it. Well, no, it's exactly right, sure. Yeah. And then each player uh, takes, every other player takes on the role of the character in the story. Right. And it's set up in chapters and scenes. And right. you can think of each scene kind of like a blog post. Right. Um, where the narrator establishes it by writing yes. uh, a description of what's happening. Yes. And the players have the ability to make moves by writing right. additional parts of the story sure. uh, in which they have um, agency over their character. Right. And then there's a bunch of tricks we have that we're, we're playing with um, to sort of uh, encourage interesting storytelling. Yes. Um, we think, we hope. Yes. So, so one thing is we have this idea of karma. Right. Um, which is the, the, the sense that players earn the right for their characters to succeed yes. by choosing to complicate their lives. Other right, yes. Yeah. So you earn points when you choose um, from a set of outcomes in a scene that might be negative for your character. Sure. And then you can spend those in subsequent scenes to, yes. to sort of bend the story to your will, right. to right. your, your yep. roles. Yeah, nice. um, and so it gives people uh, a reason to choose failure for their characters, when in games you normally wouldn't have a reason to do that. Right. Um, uh, so that's one idea. Another idea of these, these virtual cards that are sort of like a common language. So yes. I might be uh, the professor and uh, I have a code book. Uh, and those are cards I can play in, in my scene right. sure. to sort of inform my actions. Right. And then the narrator can play a card for you know the, the dusty library to sort of establish where we are. Right, sure. Uh, and they can nice. play a card for um, the, uh, you know, the, the NPCs hiding in the shadows and so forth. 
brought crumbs. That's kind of how it works in, in, in the gist of it. And it happens over time. It, it doesn't happen with you sitting down yes. at the exact same moment. Yeah, sure. It happens uh, in the moments in between. Yes, that's right. right. To yeah. try to fit in, into life. Yeah, that's right. And that's also another thing that I, I think has informed some of the directions, at least in story games. Many of the people mm. that began role-playing at a similar time that I did, let's say, you know, the early 80s. Mm. Um, we now got kids and responsibilities, and it's often difficult to yeah. fit a full role-playing session into, into your everyday life. So, I mean, <clears throat> even if you're going to play a one-shot game, like um, like a, a fiasco play set, yeah. or you're going to play you know, something along those lines, then, um, you know, that... It's good because you you play it and then the story is done, right? Because it may be three because somebody's got you know they've got a coach hockey or whatever it might happen to be, and it's hard to get that sort of continuity going. And I wonder, I mean, it seems like storying would be ideal in that respect. You know, you carve out half an hour in a day or something, and then you add something to this sort of ongoing narrative, so it would address that as well. That's the idea. I mean, and it can because it has a sense of the shape of the story and the people who are involved, and, and it knows like when they last moved. Yeah. And it knows that the pace of the game that's yeah. supposed to be, yes. um, it can it can help a little bit. So right. like if it, if it's your turn and he's been waiting been waiting on you for a few days, yeah. it can email you and remind you, like, right. sure. hey, you know, people are waiting on your move. Yeah, right. Um, so we do things to sort of help bring you back in, yes, um, to remind you, like, oh yeah, this is going on. I that's need to right. find thirty minutes tomorrow to yeah, right. fifteen minutes to do something right. yeah. this weekend. Or yeah, something. yeah, so, good. That's the general idea. Yeah, and can you, like, for example, um, I know that not all um, role-playing groups, everybody wants to play the same thing. In a perfect world, everybody wants to play the same thing, but oftentimes it can be a matter of access to other people that are interested in the hobby. Yeah. And so you kind of, because I know for myself, um, not all the games that I play are the games that I would necessarily choose to play, but it's the, the camaraderie and the friendship and stuff that goes along with it that was, draws me there. But if I'm going to go to Storium and I'm going to play a, um, play a game, then let's just say, for example, I'm really interested in exploring a game about um, explorers in um, the Antarctic, let's just say, for example. Yeah. That's what I'm really into. Like, can I go on a Storium and, and sort of say, uh, like, pitch a game and see if other Storium mm-hmm. members might be interested in getting into a game like you, that? You will be able to do that. Right. Right now, so we're in an alpha state right now, sure. which, you know, in, in tech speak, it's just like a very early version. Yep. Totally operational, but we're changing it a lot every day. Sure. Um, and, and so right now, um, uh, it's really focused on uh, assuming that you know some folks you can invite to sure, your game. Sure, sure. Um, but that what's coming is more like what you're talking about, right. where you can say, um, you know, in, in like World of Warcraft, like this would be your LFG, looking for group, right? right sure. You'd be saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. hey, I want to play, uh, I'm willing to run right. a story about explorers in Antarctica. Who's in, right? Yeah, right. And, and then what people could say is, they could say, I'm in, here's my character I'm suggesting. Right, right, sure. I'm going to submit this character right, for okay. your approval. Yeah. Uh, and the opposite could, will probably be true as well. Like, I'm a player... These are the sort of things I like to play. Here's my record, stuff right. I've played before. Right. Um, you know, I'm, invite me. You know? Right, right. Um, so I think there's a, there's a whole social aspect to it right. um, to help people find folks to play with that I think is super interesting too. Right. So if you're going to play a game of story and with four people, living or dead, who would you play with? You can't choose somebody from your family or perhaps that somebody you've lost and you can't choose game designs. There's four people from history <laughs> like that, or actors or, or, or authors or, you know, whoever you want, whoever it would be. Oh man, yeah. I think I would go for um, a mix of authors and like movie folks, maybe. Right. Um, because I think that you know what we're doing is sort of blending a variety of narrative traditions. So, yes. Like I, I'm interested in role players, of course. But yep. um, yeah, I mean, like I would, I'd love to. Um, I think it'd be fascinating to play with. Um, <laughs> let's get crazy here, Steven Spielberg. Right. Okay. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> because I think he could he could narrate essentially any style of story. Sure. Uh, potentially, and so right. that would be interesting. Um, 
from a writing perspective, oh man. I mean, I, I want to play Tolkien, of course. Right, there you go. Sure. <laughs> so I'm not the first person to say Tolkien. I, I would imagine <laughs> that I'm not the first person to say that. Um, in terms of an actor, um, I'm going to say Fassbender. Right, okay. For no particular reason. That right, sure. Awesome. Right. Um, I think he would inhabit the character quite interestingly. Yes, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is that three? That's three. I need one more. You've got one more. You can think about it as we go. I think about it, yeah. Really? That's a great question. Well, maybe this will, maybe this will be uh, helpful. <laughs> Who's your uh, favorite villain and why? Oh, man. You know, my favorite villain is uh, a villain that not nearly enough people know about, and it's Scorpius from Farscape. Right, tell me about that. I don't know anything about Scorpius. Oh, see, this is the injustice of the universe. <laughs> None of right. people know Farscape. Right, right. I didn't, you know, so Farscape was the, the Henson Company show. A lot of people say it's you know, puppets in space, which is, um, sure. I think, really belittles what it is. That's right, yeah. Sure. Fantastically creative show. Scorpius sure. was this uh, uh, was arch villain throughout the series, uh, series who's a, a half-breed of, of the human equivalent race and the Scarens, who are the sort of... Um, the very evil uh, brutish race. Yeah, right, yeah, uh, yeah. And so he sort of plays you know, both sides against the middle. Right. You never quite know what his uh, motivations are. He's twisted and wears sort of this sort of uh, S&M leather outfit nice. in space, for lack right. of a description. Uh, he sort of has this uh, Nosferatu pasty skin. And, um, he's played by this uh, phenomenal actor, Australian actor, um, uh, Wayne Pygram, I think is his name. Right. So, yeah, he, I think he's probably my favorite villain because... Um, you love to hate him, right. and he goes from being an unknowable menace to being uh, actually a tentative ally of our heroes. Right, um, and is not someone who is killed off or anything like that. Like he he survives, he persists, right. he right. endures. Right, right. So, and so, what's his motivation? Like, what is it do you think that makes him compelling? He fundamentally wants He wants to destroy the Scarens, who are um, uh, he's a half you know half breed of right. who uh, who killed his parents right. and, and raised him, tortured him. Right, all right. Life. So he okay. wants to destroy them. Right. Um, and will really do anything, including a lot of evil things, to, to make that happen. So, right. Uh, and I love him for it. Right, yeah. So the, <laughs> so the means justify the end, right? He's a, very much on that For style. him, certainly, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, and, and you, you get to, in, in a sick way, really enjoy the way he looks at the world mm. and the show. That's right. It's a very simple view, right? That's the, that's mm. the thing. It's often hard for us to find that in this day and age because there's so many things to consider, but having somebody who's so totally focused that yeah. that with respect to anything else, you know, they're true neutral in a way, right? Because they just, mm. they're, they're like neutral evil, I should say. Um, yeah, because they just, yeah. they just, this is what I want and I'll do yeah. whatever, whatever right. it takes for that. Right, right. right. So what uh, book would, if you could only have one book, it was like a desert island disc situation, but it was a role-playing book, what, what book would you take Onto a onto a designer, a book that you just continually find enjoyable, a role playing book, yeah, or supplement, just something that you that you will find yourself always going back to. That you always want a copy of somewhere on hand. Um, I think uh, I think it's probably Fiasco actually, right? Um, because for me, that's the that's the game that most um, boils everything down to. The sort of the, the storytelling process in its purest right. sense, and in a way that doesn't use a lot of the language of role playing games, right? Quite often, right. right? Which I find interesting as well. Yes, not that there's anything wrong with that language. It's just that it um, it brings with it a lot of history and a lot of assumptions yes, and a lot of religion. That's right. I yeah, find. that's true. That's so true. you know, Fiasco fascinates me because it, it leaves behind a lot of that um, dogma, if right. you will, yeah, um, and and puts things in a new a new vocabulary, right? A simpler one, actually. Right. So that would probably be the one. Okay, what's your favorite place here? 
within Fiesta. I'm old school. I love the ice, actually. Right. right. That's one of the, you know, the right. basic ones that comes with it, but I uh, I cannot get enough of the ice. Right. That's I probably it. Not the most creative answer because there's so many good ones out there. Oh, there are, there are so sure. many good ones. But, right. But I'm, I'm necessarily. Maybe I can get you to play Story with me and you can be my Antarctic Explorer game. Yeah, clearly we're meant to play together. <laughs> so, um, who's your favorite hero then? And why? Favorite hero from fiction is. Um, oh, no, you can, you can choose a, an actual person for a hero. Mm. It's really the why that I'm interested in. Right. Um, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but my favorite hero is actually also the hero of Farshian. Right. It would happen that this is my favorite show as well, so none of this will be terribly surprising. But, but I find I, 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 John Crichton is the hero of Farscape. Right. Yep. And uh, uh, well, I mean, first of all, uh, I, I'm a thirty-something uh, American male who grew up wanting to be an astronaut, so I want to be this character right, first sure. of all. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, I really enjoy the character because um, uh, he's put through so much. Yep. Uh, in the series, he's literally killed. Yes. <laughs> He's hunted, he's literally killed, and it's yes. complicated how that doesn't end his story. Right. Um, uh, he gets home and then is taken away again multiple times. Right. Um, falls in love, loses his love, actually kills his love. Right. All right. these sort of things. So he goes through the whole gamut of like right. human experiences sure. Sure. and classic sort of hero challenges. Right, right. Um, and does it with a lot of humor. Right. Which I think is part of why um, Farscape I actually like better than shows like even like Battlestar Galactica, frankly, uh, right. the reimagined version, because... Um, you could argue there are better shows yep. that have been made, certainly, um, uh, but there are a few shows that are more joyful right, sure. than, than Farscape. I think okay. that is a very joyful show, right. and that hero brings, you know, there's a humor that brings a lightness even to the darkest moments. Right, sure. It makes it a show that, for me, I can watch and go to over and over again, versus right. something like Galactica. Man, you know, like, that's slog. Like, I... I have to like steal myself to right, watch that sure. show through again, and I sure. haven't actually in a right, long time right. because of that. Not, not that I don't love it; it's just yeah. exhausting. It's hard work. And how do you feel about Firefly? I adore Firefly, of right. course. I mean, I'd be probably shot by automated sentries if I said no. But <laughs> well, I've never watched uh, Firefly all the way through, so I wouldn't judge you for not liking it. It's not for everybody, I guess. But I think I'm not sure what, what's appealing about it to you because I've never really investigated what people like so much about it. I mean, acting, acting aside, let's just say, for example, right. Um, is it the way they inhabit the characters that's important? Is there a lot of sort of in-humor? Or what is it about Firefly that's... That's a good question. I mean, it, the answer may vary, I think, depending on sure. the person. Sure. I mean, for, for me, I guess, and, and again, I'm not like a, a, a rabid fan of it, sure. but my, what, what I appreciate, I think, is the uh, the dialogue right. and, and the, the character development itself. I think right. it's an interesting cast of characters. Yes. Um, the, the language that they use is, you know, not only Whedon-esque to begin with, but sure. it's also... Um, it's built on like this sort of vocabulary, right? That, right. that hints at a deeper world. Right, sure. Right? And, and um, a lot of shows do that. I mean, you know, Galactica does that, right? Yep. Uh, Farscape did that quite a bit. There's a lot of like weird alien language yep, sure. that just they sort of casually throw out. You never right, know exactly right. what they mean. Yes, yep. that, that sort of trick is a very powerful one, and yep. that's used, you know, in, in many shows, including Firefly. Um, but it just feels like a rich, lived-in world, and the characters feel very real. Right. Uh, and to me, that's what's so interesting, and that it felt that way to me, at least from the beginning. Right, um, right. It's not like it was season two before that show got interesting. You yes. cared about what happened. Right, right. For me, it happened very quickly, and that's I think part of why it's painful that it ended. Right, sure. And that and that is sort of a contention. I've, I've mentioned on the show before, but um, the shows that I find uh, enduringly entertaining, like even like 
comedic dramas, um, particularly shows like um, you know, The Office. The reason I like The Office is um, not the, well, the American one too. I quite like the American <laughs> one, but um, but both of them f- focus on the same thing: is that the humor comes out of knowing the characters, mm-hmm. right? You get shows like I mean, Friends. I got a few laugh out of Friends, but not a lot because a lot of it was kind of samey. There was no actual character development within it. But just the last, I mean, spoilers here, but just the last <laughs> bit of, um, in the British office, you know, when um, David Brent says, fuck off, Finchie, right? At the end there, it's kind of like a, a full arc for him, right? Like, because he thinks that Finchie's the shit, and then you realise, and then he slowly realises that he's just actually a dick, right? And then, and so that character development is sort of, is, um, is so, at least in my experience, is rare to find in a comedy, and I think that that makes the comedy better. You don't, it has to be, I mean, for me, a drama with comedic things going on. That's mm. really where it's at for me, just like playing for laughs, like, you know, the King of Queens or stuff like that. So one line of sort of gags and stuff like that is not something that's appealing to me. And right. The same in a drama. Like, if something happens in a drama and then nothing's different next week, and, like, Jessica Fletcher and Murder, she wrote, right? She goes, she's a, it's the same sort of thing over and over again. And you don't get that, that character development. I think that television's making a much better job of that now. I wonder if it's pushed more by cable shows, do you think, or...? It's a good question. It would seem to be. I mean, the, the, the cable industry is creating complex, evolving stories, yeah. and people are, are eating it up. Yes. You know, clearly. So I, I would expect there's something to that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. All right. At, so, the same, at the same time, they take complex, smart shows like uh, Arrested Development and yeah. end them. You know? Yeah, that's right. Well, that's <laughs> true. It's so, it's so difficult to know what the right thing is. But I think that with, show, with networks like Netflix... Um, yeah. And Hulu, I guess, to a degree, making their own shows. You know that that's they're going to get a pretty good indication about whether people want to watch it or not. Yeah. Right, and that's yeah. the thing. And maybe maybe it's a confluence of things like destination television. People won't put half an hour aside for for a half an hour show. Right, if they can watch whenever they want. Maybe that's going to affect things. Or you know, I don't. I don't well, know. Well, the other phenomenon, of course, is is people waiting to binge later. Right. Yes. To, right. To know, yeah. like, I'm going to wait and see if this show gets cancelled this season. Before that's right. I start that, watching. That's the thing. That's the thing for and me. I've sure. done that myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to watch it because, like, I like the idea of this program, but it goes yeah. four programs, and I'm not. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to see what. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you had to live in a fictional world, what what fictional world would you choose to live in? I would live in Ian Banks' culture world, culture universe. Okay, tell me about that. I've read. I've mostly. I haven't read any of his science fiction. I've read The Wasp Factory and yeah. um, I can't remember the name of the other one now. But this is a science fiction. Yes. Yeah. The culture novels are. Um, it's not. I'm not sure if it's a good place or not. To be honest, it's oh, a the, fascinating. Place, well, there you go. Right. Yeah. So it's like a post scarcity society. It's a society that's so advanced. Uh, technology and physics. Their understanding of physics and, and is so advanced that. Um, there is no nobody wants for anything essentially. Right. You know, energy, um, you know, immortality, wealth, um, security, none of it's relevant anymore. Right. Sure. So, so um, the, the culture is this phenomenally advanced civilization that's actually almost entirely spacefaring. Right. Uh, they don't even live on planets anymore. It's seen as somewhat uh, naive and, and old school. Right. 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 Like massive ships that are actually big enough to be like their own, you know, cities or, right, or right. nations even. Right. Um, and it's an enormous stellar society. Um, it's governed by AIs that are called minds. Right. Uh, and AIs are to the point they're so advanced, they basically run the whole society. Right. And so as a human or, you know, a, a being in the, a citizen of this world, you, you can devote your life to basically whatever you want. Right. Right. So people don't really have to work per se. 
they don't have to really get their hands dirty. They can pursue literature, the arts, sciences, whatever they want. Right. And they can also live a very long time. Right. They can, you know, biologically altered and so right. forth. But there must be something else going on because you couldn't read that for hundreds of pages. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's not. It's not certainly utopian, right? That's the right. thing. All the things you describe are not all universally good things. Right. right? Sure. Um, from a, a human perspective. Right. Um, so yeah, there's um, yeah, there, there's questions about. Um, the role of this culture, if you will, in the larger universe, you know, right. how, it's, uh, how it sort of dominates and destroys other cultures as necessary. Right. Um, the the control and motivations of these AIs. Right. Oh, like, yeah. Right. Okay. Like, are they really looking out for the best interests of the humans or not? Right. Uh, are we pawns in, in their system? Yes. Um, or their way of thinking, if you will. Uh, it's, it's actually very richly layered. I actually haven't even read all the books yet. I've only read a couple so far. Right. I'm, I'm quite taken with it. Um, right. Uh, but like I say, like it's a place. Maybe it's better to say I would like to visit it, <laughs> right? Sure. Than yeah. to say I would like to live there, right? right? Okay. I would like to visit that world and, right. and that universe and see what it's like. And for that matter, I mean, there's a lot of places actually in fiction that I would like to visit, and very few I would want to live in. Right. So, um, Westeros. Oh, geez. Yeah, I would not want to live there. No. I would like to, but visiting it would be fascinating. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, the world of Blade Runner, right? I, right. Yeah. I, I sure. had this realization recently. Like, I, for much of my adult life, I have dreamed of the world of Blade Runner. Right. But I don't actually want to live there. Right, right. Yeah, I want to be a tourist there. Right. And how do you feel about um, uh, Dickett being a replicant? <laughs> uh, well, he is, clearly. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, he just came out and said it, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. If, I mean, it's pretty clear from the director's cut, it seems like. The whole yeah. unicorn yeah. dream and the way they recut it. So, yeah, I mean, that's sort of, a, I think, just a brilliant twist of the Right, film, sure. So, so you were you're happy with that? Rather than leaving it being, being sort of somewhere out in the ether there? Yeah. Because I'm quite... I'm quite Taken with the idea of um, of not realizing or not making everything concrete in, in fiction, like in, and particularly at cons, you can sort of see, leave things a little bit open. And I quite like mm-hmm. that. I quite like that idea. So sometimes when something gets confirmed, I'm not. Um, and I've said this on the show before, but the most perfect example of that this for me is um, uh, the end of Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Right, just the just the, the the high shot from far away, the long shot, and 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 there's no way that anybody. Um, in my in my head, nobody can write what Andy and Red are going to say to each other. That's going to sound as good as it does in my head when it's not actually ever vocalised, sure, right? Sure. And that's the thing. And I think that there's a lot that's of awesome. space for that in, in, in fiction and, and in role playing as well. Yeah. And I, I think that being explicit is not necessarily a good thing. So that's why I'm a little bit conflicted about Deckard and the thing. Like I don't want to be right. I just want to have that idea in my head that yeah. that's that that's what it's what it's about. But yeah. Well, I mean, the beauty is too. I mean, like the, those moments that occur. Are not involving dialogue really. No, it's They're right. just you know uh, the camera lingering on mm, an image or on his right. face or something. That's right. So there's still a lot that's left unsaid yeah. in those moments in that film. I think for sure. So, yeah, I, I don't feel like it's yeah. ruined it, but I, I'd rather just I'd rather not know for sure. Like I like yeah. that not knowing. Like in my sure. head, that's what's that's what's going you, on. You don't want to know what Bill Murray said to uh, Scarlett Johansson, do you? No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, but nothing he says. No, but he can't. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can't. It's never going to match everybody, and it's only going to be a letdown yeah. for everybody. Agreed. Right? So, oh, well, there we go. Um, so we'll sort of that out. Well played. So nobody, anybody listening here that's writing a screenplay, feels free to leave some, some little spots for people to, you to have think about it after this, right? Yeah, you've, you've, been, you've been given permission. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, what would you say is your favorite, um, what would you say is your favorite role-playing snack? My favorite snack. Your favorite role playing snack. We talk. Okay. Uh, this this question came from from this. Like, um, my feeling is that when you go to role playing, you take snacks along, and people yeah. people have have their snacks, and then um, 
some people take it along and hold it, hoard it to themselves, right? They've got a bag of chips in there, and they're sort of very proprietary about it. So, so what's, what are the best types of role-playing snacks to have? Some people say nothing greasy. Some people start talking about healthy stuffs. Yeah, I mean, I will just say what I've taken to doing is actually baking cookies and bringing them for the table. What sort of cookies are appropriate for role-playing? I think any type of cookie is appropriate, actually. Uh, nuts should be avoided because some people will die if yeah, they eat them. That's true. That's true. <laughs> but, but other than that, I mean, I guess you should probably avoid gluten as well, but that's kind right. of impossible with a good cookie. Yeah, that's, but, uh, that is challenging. Let's, let's right. be honest. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I've just, it's, I, don't, I, I sort of did it without realizing it, but it's sort of like a, a offering to the table. Mm, that's right. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that at times I've been given extra fate points or uh, <laughs> <So> <laughs> or been given the different. white die instead of the yes. black die fiasco uh, right, yeah. because of my cookies. That's right. There you go. So it's the utilitarian. <laughs> uh, so uh, what role-playing games have you made into a film? Uh, well, Always Never Now. Right? Yeah, by Will that? March. Why is that? Uh, I, well, first of all, it's one of the most fun I've had role-playing in a long time. Right. Uh, but it's a... Uh, I just think it's a fascinating... Um, it has all the things that we talked about earlier right. as things that we like in, in fiction, which is mm-hmm. it has really compelling, rich characters, right. and it has a, a, a fascinating setting that has a lot of depth behind it. Mm-hmm. Right? Like a lot of, it feels like a lived-in place, a place that could be. Right. Uh, so it's a cyberpunk setting. For those who don't know, mm-hmm. Always Never Now, it's, um, uh, it's a game Will recently did through a Kickstarter, um, and it is a cyberpunk uh, campaign set on, based on a game that he played with friends years ago. Right. Um, taking those same characters and characters and saying what happened to them years later, right. uh, and giving them a new scenario to explore. Right. So the game gives you like the characters pre-generated and pre-packaged, and the scenario mapped out with, with some decision points sure. along the way. Sure. Uh, so things can there's still plenty of creative freedom, but there's also these interesting constraints that um, I think really um, drive interesting gameplay. Right. And I just feel like it's a it's like this combination of I don't know like of you know Shadowrun and the Matrix and like. Jason Bourne, maybe. Right, <laughs> like sure. It's this really like, high-action right. um, story with like, these incredibly competent characters doing amazing things. Right, sure. And the game encourages you to be awesome. Yes. It rewards you for that, right? Right, right. It's a dice pool. And for taking right? chances, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and it really uh, it encourages you to reward other players for being awesome, too, yeah, right. which I think is a great idea. Yeah, so, yeah I agree with you. Yeah, so, so this sort of dice pool mechanic really encourages um, uh, just being big and, and bad. They're right, yeah. uh, and I think that it would be adapted into a film quite well. Right, there you go. <laughs> it would be very exciting. So changing gears uh, completely, should um, males play females in role-playing games and vice versa? I think so, yeah. I've been trying to do that myself, rightly. Um, it's hard. Yeah. I f- I f- at least I find it hard. Yeah. Um, it's definitely, I'm playing an ongoing um, Dungeon World campaign over, right. um, over Google Hangouts with right. some friends, Yes. and I'm playing a female character, and you know, I'm... I will say it's a challenge, actually. To um, it's hard for me to describe why, honestly. But right. but uh, it, it's definitely an interesting creative challenge for me. Yeah. Uh, and I think it makes. I hope it will make me a better role player. Yeah. And I think in general, I think it's a good exercise just for building empathy. Yes. Sure. <laughs> to play yeah. people that are not yeah. yourself. Yeah. For so, sure. Um, so and, and I think role playing, by the way, gives you it's a unique opportunity to do that. Yes. In, in a way that doesn't have to. Um, Get in the way of like other social baggage that people would have, yep. right? True. Like it's it's a it's a safe place to to pretend mm. to be anyone, right? Right, and that's very powerful. Right. So you think that there's catharsis available in role playing? Oh yeah, I'm sure, absolutely. Yeah. Do you? Um, is it okay to um, role play through things um, at the table? Is that something mm-hmm. you need to bring up ahead of time? Like if you are struggling with something that's manifesting in the 
in, in your role playing, um, is that okay, or is it a case of you know, like you need to leave your baggage? Not, I mean, it's, let's assume that you're not hurting yeah. anybody, but you know, you're sort of driving a story in a certain direction. Is it? Is there a social contract that says that's not going to happen, or is that we're friends first and then role players? Or does it really depend on what all the group together? I think the group has to have a consensus, right? And you know, I've played. I, I've seen different mechanisms for doing that, where you know, there's um, people declare up front things that are off limits. Or there's sort of right. a safe word of sorts that people right. can use to say, you know, what, this is going in a direction I'm not comfortable with. Right. And I think you have to respect that. Right. You know, I think it's just it, you have to be mutual respect around the table. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, again, I'm speaking as someone who's, you know, my role playing experience has been divided very clearly into two chapters. Right. Yes. There was the you know, long ago, the before time, yeah, and yeah. there's now. Right? right. And I'm a very different person right. in those two chapters. Right. I was yeah. much younger. You know, I was a teen yeah. playing these games and. It, that was never an issue, right? We never right. we never went deep enough. Right, sure. And we didn't have enough life experience, frankly, yes. for those things to, to, right. to, to color what we did. Right. And now, as I'm back into, into gaming, of course, that's happening much more often. I'm right. sometimes bringing that myself to the table. Right. Uh, but, I've, you know, I've, I'm happy to say I've never um, had a problem right. with sure. that. People have always been respectful and mindful. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, now, when it comes to, I mean, role-playing's got lots of axes, but I talked a lot with uh, Jackson Tegu, I can't remember which episode that was, might have been 64 maybe, for anybody um, who wants to go back and listen, but I talked to Jackson Tegu, um, uh, studying for the Bechdel is the, is the name of the episode, but um, hmm. we talked about two axes in role-playing, which we're not quite at opposite ends of, but we certainly fall differently on this line. In one, you've got simulation versus um, sort of, High fantasy, if you like, or not even—I don't mean high fantasy in terms of um, magic and swords and stuff. But I mean like how how accurate and how real it is. And then on the other, the other spectrum, at at least for me, these are the two that I I pay the most attention to. Is um, how I feel about how emotionally involved I want the game to be. Like whether I really want to try and plumb depths of various different types of emotions. Like you know, um, Monster Hearts, for example, is not going to turn out super well. More than likely, right? That's that's just that's kind of its thing, and that's a type of game that doesn't really appeal to me because I want to go along and it's a role play, it's going to be some fun, we have some laughs. I'm not opposed to dramatic moments. Mm. I don't mind getting into my character, but I don't want it to be all about the exploration of emotion. That's for me. I don't want it to be about. That. I want it to sort of come with a story. I want to bring emotion to the story, but I don't want it to be about the the sort of like working through that that emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, that's not true for some people. Some people, that's where it's all at. That's, right. that's the good stuff for them. And where do you fall sort of on that, that axis or those axes? I tend to like more fantastical settings, right. um, which I think is just the sort of escapist in me, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just tend to find those more interesting. Like I'm, yes. If I'm going to spend the time to tell a story, mm-hmm. I tend to want it to be something rather distant from my own experience. Right. Uh, in terms of the emotional investment, I will say that I'm... Uh, I'm probably in the middle. Right. Uh, I don't like it to go too far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe I'll change over time as I play more. Right. Because right, sure. again, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I haven't been playing again for all that long. Right? right. Sure. So I think that may change over time. But so far, I tend my, I tend to find myself healing more to the middle of your spectrum, probably in terms right. of the emotional investment. Right. Like enough for there to be stakes for the character. Yes. Yeah. But not enough to make. Potentially somewhat uncomfortable. Right, yeah, yeah. Or even, I mean, I, I wouldn't like to think anybody was upset. I'd like to think that the content could be um, upsetting because of their character, but not actually for somebody, right? Like, they, they can bring some real emotion to it, but then they can pull back They can pull back from it. They don't right. take it away with them necessarily. And it's, at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's just a, it's just, a, it's just a, I mean, I don't want to say just a game in a pejorative sense, but, you know, like it's, 
we volunteered to get together from this. And if you go away from this feeling worse than you did when you came in, then to my mind, that's a fail. Now, you may feel like you got something out of it. And like I say, maybe some people like to go to those emotional places because maybe it helps them to relate to something that's going on in their own life. Or maybe it's kind of like, yeah, that was a really deep experience. I feel sort of transformed in a way by it because I haven't gone there before. And now I have a feeling for what that might be like. It might be helpful with empathy. But um, for myself, that I've got enough real-life stuff um, going on that um, that when I go to a game, I'm like, you know, I want to just, I don't want to necessarily forget about it, but I don't want to feel worse. I don't want to kind of carry that around. I want to sort of have a, a game hangover, if you like, with this other stuff going on. So, so right. that's... Yeah, you don't want every show you watch to be Breaking Bad. Well, exactly. That's exactly, yeah. I couldn't have put it better. You, um, you, you, as much as you may love it, if yes, every show was like that... That's right. It would be a darker that, that's way to right. spend your time. Yeah, and then it would lose, and then you would be desensitized yeah, to it as yeah. well, and then that wouldn't be that yeah. wouldn't be available for you. Yeah. So, what's so a good length of time to role play for? In a given session, you mean? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about that today as we were playing. I was thinking about it last night. Like, I feel like um, the answer probably varies, you know, based on the game. And for the yourself, person. for me, I feel like um, three to four hours is is about it. It's not like I don't have the attention span or the motivation to go beyond sure. that. But I feel like when you have a group of people, somebody at that point will start to to to, um, to fade away. Right, sure. Way, right? It's just statistically going to happen, I think. Yes. And as soon as somebody... And you said this actually, I think, at the beginning, right? Yes, like, yep. I totally agree. Like, as soon as somebody is not totally into it, that has a sort of um, pervasive yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. effect. You know? Yeah, so, it does. So that's why I just kind of feel like three to four hours feels good to me. Yeah. Um, but you know, everybody has different opinions yeah. on that. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, growing up, we would play an entire damn day. I mean, yeah. we would get together. Sure. You know, this is like a Saturday morning. We'd get there at like ten, and we'd be going to like our parents were making us stop for yeah, dinner. Sure. Yeah, you know, right. Yeah, and would not leave the room. You know, yes. and uh, we had the energy to do that. Yeah. I'm now much old, more old and decrepit. So sure. Um, do you think part of it though is the type of get? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, I mean, there could be again. A, a connection here with the emotional investment as well. Right, sure. Because yeah. I'm imagining like Dungeons and Dragons is like a it's like a problem solving kind of like almost like a board game type thing. I mean there are elements of role playing as much as you interact with people in the story, but there's not like you said, there's not that emotional investment in it. It's but, but there's a um, I, I mean I, I don't want to use I, mean, I don't use this word because it's a negative connotation, but there's a, a sort of tedium to a game that's much more heavy mechanically in terms yes. of, of, of crunchiness, if you will. Yeah, for sure. That's the popular term. You know, so like Chick Champions, for example, which yes. I to this day adore. Yes. But, you know, uh, you could spend an entire afternoon playing 12 seconds of combat right. in Champions, right? Yes. you go yeah. second by second, yeah. and it, it can take forever. Yes. It's fun, actually, right? Yeah, sure. But it's a completely different, it's different experience fun, right. than, than telling, sort of doing it from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. Um, and that can be tiring in its own way, too. Right. So, you know, I, I think if we were, if I was to play Champions with my friends, I, I probably wouldn't be able to do it all day. Right, yeah. and and that's that's uh, one of those things. Like you know, what what when people sort of throw an umbrella over role playing, um, it's there's so you, there's such such different experiences you can have at either end of the either end of the thing that it's not really easy to to get a good grip on you know what role playing actually is because you've got like so we've got the simulation yeah. at one end and we've got the and yeah. I, and there's I, it's wonderful it's one of the things that's yeah. made me so happy coming back to yeah. the hobby sure it's so much like broader and more yeah. diverse than it used to be yeah. and I'm one of the people who thinks that's all good and it's all role playing and yeah. like there's. I get sort of irritated by some of the label games, identity yep. politics, and so yeah, forth. Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, it's it's all it's all a world of gaming that has a, you know, some common threads. Yeah, and but they're all very different. And it's mm. great. Yeah, 
yeah, the diversity is, that, that we've got right now is, is, is amazing for sure. Yeah. Okay, so um, should talking about champions, then we're talking then about the emphasis that there is, at least for us, on the story element, the narrative element of games. Should um, GMs or DMs, whatever you want to call it, should they fight dice rolls? Oh, man. Well, I, I did a lot of that when I was playing growing sure. up. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I did what I now know to be railroading right. quite a bit, yeah. quite a bit. Um, I don't know. I feel like with great power comes great responsibility yeah. at nauseum. So people, you know, GMs shouldn't do it uh, extensively, but if, if it helps the story and doesn't yeah. hurt anyone, yeah. yeah, who cares? Yeah, that, that's right. That's I mean, sort of my attitude. <laughs> and, that, and that's part of the... Um, and I've mentioned this a couple of other times, but I'm interested in your feedback as well. I feel like when you first start out in role-playing, um, uh, I'm not talking about when you're, you're younger, right? Yeah. But even, even I think probably an older person first coming to it won't necessarily have the experience to deal with this. But the, ultimately, you're trying to make people have, have fun. And when I say try to make them have fun, what I mean is you need to, if you're in a game where you've got centralised authority at least, right, then the, at the very minimum, the premise has to be set by somebody. So that's interesting, and people are going to go ahead um, and have a good time. But um, within that, the to make everything, every role, interesting mm. requires experience to know. Okay, if this goes this way, then this happens. And if this goes this way, then this happens. I need to have two interesting things because don't roll if you don't want a certain outcome. If there's no value in a certain outcome, then don't don't roll because unless it comes up with what you want, you're going to make it up anyway, right? You're going to you're going to fudge that roll and you're going to railroad, right? So in some respects, don't roll if there's no obvious other outcome that's going to be interesting. Sure. But also, um, think of like think about ahead of time what the possible outcomes might be because maybe the fail is more interesting, right? So well, that's what games like like Apocalypse World and Dungeon World do so well. Right is by is to make that in between that sort that sort of failure so interesting. That's that, right. That that makes rolling so much more fascinating to me. I think. Yeah. Than the sort of oops, I have to roll now. Oops, right. it failed. I don't know what that means. You know, exactly. It, it's yeah. So much more interesting. Yeah, yeah. I fail and nothing happens. That's the that's the worst thing ever. Like a thief goes to pick a lock and they don't succeed and then nothing happens. That's so let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to try again. Yeah, right. and that's yeah. and that's that's not not really. Well, uh, I mean, really, the story should be like I'm a thief, so of course I can pick the lock, right. or you can't because of some important plot point. Right. <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. I don't know. I I I um I'm guilty of more than my share of rolling the die for no reason. Mm. You know, when I, especially when I was you know, a GM growing sure. up, I I did that all the time. I'm ashamed to admit. But I rolled the, the the dice knowing that I wasn't actually doing anything. Right. I was giving my players. The perception, yeah, you're right. of the fate illusion. Yeah, sure. You know, yeah. Um, but did that make it more interesting for them? Did the actual fact that you reached for the dice, did that make it? Did that add something? Yeah, it, it did until they eventually, I think, figured out that I, I was bullshitting them. Right, right. right. So uh, for a while, it did. I mean, I think I was um, at that point. I'm kind of like, you know, the stage manager in some way. I was yep. like trying. I was trying to keep the story moving. Keep keep the actors on the stage. Keep the lights right. up. The curtains up. Um, and, and that, but that, it's not like I was directing, you know. Right. It was like it was a very mechanical sort of trick. Right. Um, so I think when I grew out of that, I think I it became harder actually, right? right. But I had to be more honest as a GM. Right. Sure. So. And so in those initial stages, because 
I guess your background is not quite typical, but um, in the initial stages, when you're more interested in the theatrical elements of the game, did that um, did that inform some of the decisions that you made? Did you find like did you find that when other people were running stories that um, you, they weren't quite hitting the spots for you as as a player, and so that's why you took over being a GM or? Uh, you know, there might be something to that. I hadn't thought of that before. I mean, I think that quite often I was I was the most eager and willing to take on that job, and so that's kind of maybe why. Uh, and then I ended up having the most experience doing it, and so I think that's often how I sort of fell into that role. Uh, but you know, we did occasionally, from time to time, have other friends um, GM or DM right. while I played, and uh, I mean, I don't know. I, I, in my estimation, that was that was a lesser experience. Uh, sure. And I think it was just because uh, I tended to use the language of you know, cinema and stage a lot more to sort of compose things in the right. story. Right. And so to me, like mis- I was missing that when, right. when that wasn't there. So, right. yeah. And so therefore, that made me all the more willing to be GM again. <laughs> right, sure. That's so I set myself up for it, basically. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so and and, and you know, by the way, like now in Storium, you know, I'm narrating... Which is sort of the analog of GM in our system. Yes, absolutely. I, I've been narrating more games than I've been playing in, so I'm following into my old habits. Right. Um, even though it's a very different um, uh, task now, you know, in right. this, this game system versus uh, playing a classic role playing. Right. So. so, if you had one role playing wish, what would it be? One wish. Yes. That more people played role playing games. Right. That it reached a wider audience. Right. Uh, I, I'm, that's one thing I've been disappointed in coming back to the hobby after a number of years away, is it still feels, um, you know, a bit insular and tribal, for right. lack of the term. You know, like right. it's, it's definitely more diverse than it used to be, but it's still, um, there is incredible, like, storytelling goodness and wisdom and, like, opportunity for learning and, you know, relating to people. Like, there's incredible power in these games, and it frustrates me that it's still... It's not more broadly known, right? It's right. more broadly played. Like, you see things like Fiasco have started to sort of cross over a bit. Yep. You see hints of that in other games yep. as well, which is exciting. But um, I feel like, uh, I, I don't mean to sound, like, um, silly, but the world would be a better place yeah. if more people play role-playing games, I yep. think. Because sure. I think it is an incredibly instructive and creative experience. Right. Uh, I think it may play a big role in making me who I am, playing it growing up. Right. You know? And I think for the better, I hope. Uh, I think that's the case, right? So that that would be my one wish is that this could reach a, a larger audience um, and more people could share in this enjoyable pastime, you know? Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen Hood. That's it for episode 77 of Penny Red. So until next week, keep talking the walk. <laughs>